Fox Scouts. Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 169, putting random beeps into it. My name is Josh Canal. to my left, buzzing as always, John Richards. Hello listener. And to my right, not buzzing at all, quite clean, Brett Cropley. Good evening viewers. See, now you're just buzzing, now you're just buzzing for the sake of buzzing. There is a, there is a slight buzz. On John's microphone. So if you already hate me, you're going to hate me even more by the end of the show because I, I am, yes, there is a slight buzzing on my microphone. Nothing can be done. So uh, how much more could I hate you, John? It's a lot. It's a lot it's now. Apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you going to write more anonymous emails? I, I am going to write more anonymous emails <laughs> in stop doing talking that. about how much I, I hate you. You'd think there'd be an upper limit. <laughs> <laughs> you would think. Legally. <laughs> but no. No. No, no. actually, I, I think at some point it could be declared harassment. Uh, but I haven't reached that point yet. Alternatively, you could stab me to death on the show. I think that's illegal. That is that is probably illegal, but our numbers would go up. And it's true. Something crazy. We'd make the news again. I, I know. <laughs> the Australian, here we come. Here we go. <laughs> it is uh, episode 169 this week on Box Cutters. You're going to hear an editor, Rob Buttery. He's uh, he's not a, a journal editor. He's an editor of documentaries. Uh why are you looking at me like that, Brad? What's a journal editor? Like a like a, a journalism editor. I like it. Like a he's not a text editor. No. Oh, is he an editor that's somehow in some way television related? Is yes! that what you're trying to tell us? That's what I'm saying. Because this is a television podcast. It's a podcast about television. Well, what a useful coincidence. I know. I, I, that's I, what I'm saying. I, I took your journal to mean some sort of diary and the. Maybe missing out on on the common practice of writing a diary and then taking words out of it. He might do that. <laughs> I don't know. But you know, maybe we'll get a chance to ask him if he's not always talking about the television editing. I think you'll be does. pasting some photos into his little diary there tonight. Uh, we're also <laughs> that's just thrown me completely. We're also going to talk about uh, the uh, new series that's starting on television in Australia. At some stage. Coming up. Uh, I think it was Seven that uh, showed it as, as one of the shows Cause coming it, up. Because it, it really looks like Channel 9. It, it's got a Channel 9 kind of look. And I think that's just the Bruckheimer CSI thing. We're, we're going to be mm. talking about 11th Hour, uh, which is not the 1980s sketch comedy show that had uh, uh, Ian McFadgen and, uh, and Conor Frutera in it before... No. Wasn't that not the nine o'clock news? Or no, no, that was eleventh hour. Not the nine o'clock news was Rowan Atkinson and uh, Smith and Jones. That was a, a British show. And um, uh, uh, wasn't Mrs. that High Noon? No, that was a. That <laughs> <laughs> was a, a, a Glenn Ford and uh, a, a, and oh, horses. Sure. No, nine to five. Is that the one? Nine to that's, five. That's the one that with Dolly Parton's sister. There was a television show of, called Nine to Five, and I think it had Dolly Parton's sister in it. And Christopher the Walken Dolly... takes one one of her daughters hostage and forces Johnny Depp to run around a mall. For no, 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 no. That's uh, that's the Deer Hunter you're thinking of. <laughs> Nick of Time. I, I know where you were going with Nick of Time, but let's see. Then I flipped it to Deer it's Hunter. So sharp. The show. It. It's so sharp. I know. We're also going to talk about uh, a before before and after school. That's almost almost listener. It is, basically. This it, is, it by, is by popular demand. By popular demand. We will be looking at Duckula. I, ju- I just thought that they, uh, because a lot of people mentioned it in the one week, 
you thought uh, will do it? Because I, I don't remember we we actually. Well, certainly yes, yes. My my definition of demand, I guess, there is slightly fuzzy, uh, but, uh, it, but it it seems kind of interesting with this show that uh, we seem to ha- that need to have one obsession of some sort at some point. It used to be sci-fi. I, I mentioned it once, and, and <laughs> John stopped bringing in sci-fi films, uh, shows, and uh, now it's all about vampires. Vampires, all, all vampire, about vampires. All the way. Now that I've said that, not a vampire to be seen next week. Uh, I, uh, I also, I'll take this opportunity, because vampires reminds me of Buffy and Angel, mm. which reminds me that Joss Whedon's Dollhouse started in the US this week. Mm-hmm. I managed somehow to get my hands on, on a copy and, mm. uh, and looked at it. And I will try to bring a first review of that to the website this week, because on the show we have a policy of, uh, of basically three episodes. But it is always nice to just go, well, this is what I thought when I first saw it. Uh, and it might be nice for other people to go, this is what Josh thought when he first saw it. Are you going to poo-poo it like Underbelly? Oh, totally. Totally. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to... So there's extraneous narration going on through. Nothing but. Yeah. Nothing but. And, uh, and a lot... You know what? For a Joss Whedon production, a surprising amount of Matthew Newton's buttocks. Oh. I know. Strange. Apparently they were looking for a cock double for Joss Whedon. There's also some letters to box cutters. Uh, we've got some pork. As always, though, we're going to kick things off with the box cutters news. show's gone very weird already. It's, it's, it? it's very weird. No, no, but I, I should, Brett, I should uh, explain, mention please that... Please explain uh, that, that what you meant. Here in Australia, uh, everybody knew that uh, Underbelly was coming on and that Matthew Newton was going to be in it, and there was apparently a bit of a call-out uh, through Facebook looking for a body double uh, for Matthew Newton for uh, full frontal nudity. Because, well, because Facebook is traditionally the, 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 the method of yeah, that, requesting. And then there was, there was a bit that, of a declaration just, from uh, the producers or whatever. Uh, that it was a hoax? It sounds like a hoax. Saying that it was a hoax and, and uh, you know, people, people uh, were probably uh, onto them that uh, Channel 9 family viewing wouldn't have full frontal male nudity. Chucking I, I, a dozen pairs of tits each episode, uh, <laughs> that's fine. But uh, I can't have a floppy cock. <laughs> This is no Super Bowl. Come on. <laughs> Look, I tell you, I'm going to start with my first please, news story. Please do. No, because it's just as bad. Um, <laughs> I mentioned I've got a few, few shows I can tell you about tonight that I honestly have not made up. The first one is this one. Anne Heche has joined the cast for HBO's new series, Hung. Hung is a show about a basketball coach who has an enormous penis. <laughs> Seriously, not making this up. Ten episodes of this will be airing, or possibly two episodes will be airing, and the other eight going straight to DVD later in the year. Um, the lead character, the basketball coach with the enormous penis, is played by, Tom, by Thomas Jane, who you won't remember from The Punisher because nobody saw it. You may remember from The which Mist. Ver- which version of The Punisher? The, the second one. The Nicolas Cage one? Not the Dolph Lundgren one that was right. filmed in Australia, but the second one which starred Thomas Jane. Oh. <laughs> It's me saying that Thomas Jane played. Actually, actually starred Thomas Jane. He did star right. Thomas Jane. No, so no, not no Dolph Gunlin. No, no, Dolph Lundgren was the first. Oh, one. Oh, Nick Cage was Ghost Rider. He was Ghost Rider, which in was Melbourne. filmed in Melbourne. 
uh, publish a film I think in Brisbane with Dolph Lundgren no it's Sydney and what, I liked, the- it, what I liked about that one is he's on a motorcycle at some stage and he drives past a CES we don't have CES anymore in this country. Yeah, but that was to add glamour to, the, nice. <laughs> to the production. Now, are we going to uh, get some uh, get to see some more uh, sparkling work from the prosthetic from Boogie Nights? Perhaps? Well, we, we don't know. The, the weird thing, though, if, for a show about a man with a large penis, it does come with a, a surprisingly good pedigree. Um, the pilot was directed by Alexander Payne, who directed Election About Schmidt and Sideways. Was that erection? Right. Uh, <laughs> oh. He's saying I was executive producer. Um, the network's ordered 10 episodes. Anne Heche replaces uh, Kristen Bauer, who um, was in the pilot and has had all of her scenes reshot, which seems harsh. Oh. Um, co-creator Dim- Dimitri Lipkin, which is less a name and more a very bad anagram, said that the series, quote, has its sexual moments, but is very much about what's happening in the country, how people are trying to survive using what God has given them. A show I did not make up. Hung coming to HBO. They didn't now, see now I have to say, I, I did not like Men in Trees, which was Anne H's previous foray into television. Mm-hmm. Uh, this seems like it's going to be very different, but I think one of the big problems I had was I just find Anne H completely unbelievable in I, uh, in anything she does. I just don't think. I she's, wonder if she's there's that problem. Anne H is now more famous for her her real life, which maybe me interferes with with the on screen. I don't know life. if Anne H is aware. Of what her real life is, possibly there's a you know there is that. I, I don't know if a show called Hung about a coach with an enormous penis really has much potential. The show, call me wrong. Who would, I, have, who would have thought Battlestar Galactica would have worked? I you know, thought so. uh, I, I thought I thought a friend of mine already had that in his uh, in his video collection. But um, can I move on to the other show that I did not make up this week, which is also coming to air? <laughs> um, e E, which remember we mentioned yes, last week. E, e. e, the E channel has a great new show starting in March called. Hot girls in scary places. <laughs> Again, not making this up. Um, it's, do you want to guess what hot girls in scary places is? Is it Shannon Doherty hosts a program? Uh, no, because that's not true, certainly. But uh, yeah, no, he couldn't actually afford Shannon Doherty. So it's uh, it, it is it is uh, good looking uh, early to mid twenties women mm-hmm. who uh, who go uh, to caves. And who go to haunted houses and who go to leper colonies in India. And why would they do this? Uh, to see their uh, reactions and then uh, sometimes to help people out and sometimes uh, just to uh, bust myths. Okay. Three University of Southern California cheerleaders will spend the night in haunted locations for the chance to win $10,000. Oh, I hadn't thought about You hadn't thought it was just money. This is a trashy old money thing, but you're very close. Um, the press release says they'll be surviving with only their wits, energy bars, and the latest in paranormal equipment. <laughs> so as far as so product placement goes, energy bars and paranormal equipment. They're well haunted, go. and the producers aren't going to, to elaborate on, on perhaps uh, Jane's career. Rattling in the, I think the attic. That, or would, that would probably be you know, unethical, and I'm sure the producers wouldn't, wouldn't even consider such it a thing. It sounds like there's going to be a lot of that infrared uh, green footage. Yeah, yeah. On uh, on that show, I hate I hate that. It's airing as a special slash backdoor pilot because we love that phrase on Friday, March thirteenth on E. Interestingly enough, Friday I, I think 13th. my uh, my friend also has uh, a copy of Backdoor Pilot. The uh, <laughs> Uh, speaking of uh, other things that are uh, rumoured to be happening in the United States, uh, NBC are looking at 
Oh, they've sorry. ABC have green lighted, not green lit. Apparently, it's green lighted. Who knew? He's not superhero, isn't he? Uh, well, interesting that you say that. An adaptation of the UK TV show, No Heroics. Oh, that was that sitcom we There's, watched some episodes of and never talked about. Nev- it. Ne- never talked about it. We only had two episodes, so we yeah. can. It was. It's a, a UK sitcom about uh, uh, about superheroes in their everyday life. Uh, and and yes, ABC are going to uh, are going to remake it. it. It'll be interesting to see how they do it and how they they screw it up because the whole thing is about people being a little bit dorky. And, yeah, taking uh, take place in a, in a universe where everyone has superheroes. Well, lots of people have superpowers, and so it's so very ordinary. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, so it'll be interesting to see how they uh, uh, how they deal with that one. So it's a little bit uh, kind of Hancocky. Isn't it a little bit? Will Smith film. I actually didn't. I didn't mind the series, but I remember thinking that because I've actually seen I think three or four episodes of it now that that it kind of didn't seem to go anywhere. So it'd be interesting to see what the American one. Yeah, it didn't. It, it just it was the joke. That, yeah, and that it was, was a little it. bit. Yeah, and uh, also uh, fr- from the states, uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, bugbears, the Nielsen ratings in the US. Ah, uh, the Nielsen's. For a long time, they haven't been able to work out a way of uh, adding up the figures from people who actually watch television and people who watch television shows on the internet. Try a calculator. We have computers now. You could do it automatically. I'm not aware of what those things do. Anyway. They, they add numbers. Oh, they compute. Mm. Right. Mm, right. Right. Yes. And, uh, but the thing is, Nielsen's computer is actually saying does not compute <laughs> it's actually Robbie the robot is the, yeah, the following computer. statement is yeah. true the preceding statement was false then ah! it blows up you keep you can't keep blowing up their computers anyway. so, so uh, they've started to do uh, unique viewers on shows on the websites of uh, of the networks in the US through something like Hulu or well no not through Hulu this is the thing they will uh, they will look at nbc.com, abc.com, uh, cbs.com, but they won't look at things like Hulu. They won't uh, look at any of the other uh, uh, sites, Comedy Central's Daily Show, Cartoon Network's site. None of those are taken into account in these figures. So it's just the big three, and it's not through Hulu, and, uh, and they're looking at how people are watching it through these channels so it's it's still not an all-encompassing figure it's, it's still not uh, a great understanding but uh what we end up with is shows that traditionally do not rate well in in the ratings things like lost which people were worried was really falling behind actually gets to the top of this list saturday night live which you know rates well for a saturday night show but not well throughout the whole week is number two on this list so it really does I think force the the networks into realizing that hey these shows are popular there is a reason for them to to stick around so it's a really now, interesting thing that they're doing it's it's not enough do those okay. do those sites only provide the shows as uh, one single entire episode or can people go to specific segments which would work especially well in the case of Saturday Night Live if you don't like this sketch then just hit the next button and it goes to the next one well uh, considering that. Australia is locked out of a lot of these sites. Why don't I tell you in four weeks? Okay, I'll uh, I'll do a bit of research and uh, and let you know. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. I think it's it's good that Nielsen are doing this. Finally realizing that no, it's not 
just television where people watch television shows and there are reasons to to keep doing them. Are they counting time shifted viewing as yes? Uh they were PBRs, TVs, they videos. Were, they were counting time shifted viewing through TiVo uh but only within they only had Within 24 hours or within the week. Seems and if they want to it, exclude all these things. I'm not sure what the, what the purpose is for Nielsen's to... to I think it's, it's more a matter of how are they going to work it all out? How are they going to right. get everybody to agree to include different kinds of code on their sites? And, uh, and how are they going to work with it all? Uh, it's, it's a long process. I mean, look at Australia and, and getting, uh, getting Australian networks to work together for, for the greater good of television. It's almost impossible. So I think it's uh, interesting times ahead, and uh, and no doubt our chicken is going to uh, is going to start looking at the internet as well. Oh, our yeah, chicken! Yeah, I, I thought you were going to talk about roosting and or counting eggs or something, but no. uh, I'd forgotten about the uh, the chicken and the entrails and all of that uh, <laughs> along the same lines and locally. Uh, under Bally, the first episode of uh, last week went to air, had uh, massive viewer figures. Uh, Channel 9, only minutes after it finished screening in Western Australia, uh, made it available for download from their site and uh, have been actually uh, encouraging people to share the downloads with friends. That's quite unusual um, for them, isn't through, it? Through applications such as BitTorrent. Oh, good lord! Really? It's yes, like the whole they, world's gone topsy turvy. They want you to share this. Now, there's a couple of there's a couple of uh, catches with this though. The file is DRM protected. You have to install Channel Nine's uh, Hero Video Codec to watch it, um, and you only have until the the, the season finishes screening to watch it. Wow. And at that point, it will time up. out. Okay. So, so you won't be able to to get a license to be able to watch it again. And that. how long before somebody cracks the DRM on that turns it into an AVI, or alternately just uploads it to BitTorrent yeah. themselves? But still, it's nice to see Channel Nine putting the effort. It's in, it's it's yeah. great to see Channel Nine putting the effort in. It's it's a shame that uh, we're still restricted to to having to use their software. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know people who like to watch things in Windows Media Player. Mm-hmm. I choose VLC for my uh, well. For it my is video. a codex. I also choose VLC. It's good. It is good. Uh, it is a codex that will run on Windows Media Player or on QuickTime. Okay, uh, so you on, don't on have to, so you don't have Mac. to install. So it's not an application. It's a codec. Oh, you have to get the codec. Yeah. And that's a Channel Nine proprietary codec. Uh, from the sound of it, it it's being labelled as Nine's codec, but uh, I, I assume that somebody Still. else has actually developed it. So I see Channel Nine making steps in the right direction. Yeah, that's what I think. Um, good and, for them. Uh, and that's time. particularly lucky for uh, for people who have TiVos because the TiVos EPG only listed uh, the first episode of Underbelly oh, no. as a one-hour program. You know where that wouldn't have happened? Ice TV. Ice TV would have been all over that. Mm-hmm. They would have. They so would have been over. all over the, the the bushfires with their half an hour going late because they have actual humans working things out. I think that's that's how these things need to happen. 
Um, move on to just again an example of, of a new approach to television. The, it was announced this week that Battles, the Battlestar Galactica spin-off Caprica, which we've mentioned before, yes. which, um, judging from the ad that's going on YouTube, it just looks like Dallas in space, but I could be wrong. Uh, that is, it's due to air in the, in the US in 2010, but they've decided to release it on DVD in April. So in two months' time, you will be able to purchase the pilot episode in both apparently a rated and unrated version on the same disc. Uh, for a show that won't actually air until 2010, which people think it's an interesting move. I don't know it, what it, it means. It is an interesting move, and it will be available to download within hours. Five minutes after yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's released, which I'll be looking forward to. Uh, you've got one more? Uh, yeah, just a bit more about casting news. Um, the American version of Absolutely Fabulous, which we announced a few weeks ago, uh, has now been cast. Um, it's kind of interesting casting, really. It's Catherine Hahn playing the role of Eddie, um, I didn't know her. She's in 112 episodes of Crossing Jordan. She was in Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy as Helen. I'm not sure right. which character that was. It's a funny film, though. And um, Kristen Johnson uh, playing Patsy, who was in Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, I do she's, like. and yeah, that she's seemed, excellent. Seemed a good choice. So, you know, I mean, you know it's probably going to be dreadful, but there you go. Well, um, in, in further casting news, uh, the remake of Day of the Triffids, uh, the, a, a lot of the cast has been announced, including... Doug Ray Scott, Jolly Richardson, Eddie Izzard, Jason Priestley, Vanessa Redgrave, Brian Cox. These are huge names. It's a, and Jason, and Jason Priestley. Priestley, yes. I was Jason Priestley was the one that went, uh, okay. And uh, the adaptation for that is by Patrick Harbinson, who writes for ER and Law and Order, which is kind of interesting that it seems to be oh, that is either an American writer or an American, you know. Typewriter, <laughs> American typewriter, <laughs> to be running for UK. I've got that as a font. A, right, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. nice. But interesting, though, for, for such a, a heavily English product. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting. And, uh, and uh, I think it's going to be two two-hour episodes. Uh, so a, a mini-series, essentially, of Day of the Triffids. I'm looking forward to it, although I'm a little bit Triffidacious. <laughs> mm, yeah, nice. You like yeah, that? Yeah, like that. Yeah, and that is the Voxcutters News. Aye. I'm Adam Zouar. You might recognise my voice from ads for Ford, Australia Post and HBA. Or maybe from the phone calls I make to your house late at night. That's right. I make phone calls to your house late at night. I'm Adam Zouar. And you're listening to Box Cutters. And Box Cutters listeners who were around at the end of last year may remember us talking about a documentary that was going to be on the ABC called Christmas Lights, uh, which was about uh, families in Sydney who, basically mainly couples in Sydney, who decorate their houses with uh, amazing Christmas lights displays. And uh, it was going to be on ABC2 and then repeated on ABC1. We told you to watch it. If you didn't, it's your own fault. Uh, We were made aware of that by the editor of that program, Rob Buttery, and Rob has joined us in Melbourne in the Boxcutters studios to talk about the magic of editing. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Josh. Uh, now, right, firstly, let's talk about Christmas Lights because yep. it, it was a, a great documentary. It was only 22 minutes long yep. uh, but told quite a lot of a story in that 22 minutes. We, we got to know a lot about suburban Australia yep. in that time. Uh how much of a hand do you... Because obviously a documentary is written, uh, in this case it was written directed by the, the same person. How much of a hand do you have uh, in getting to tell that story and building that up? Well, quite a substantial part because um, essentially uh, the director, who was the, also the writer on that 
went off and shot it uh, in Christmas last year. And when we came to editing, we you, basically... You mean 2007? 2000 and... Yes, yes. right. Yes, I'm losing track. It wasn't quite that quick, yeah. Um, so essentially what, when I come on board, is basically we start off with what's called a, a paper edit, which is the directors come through, logged, logged all the tapes that they've shot, worked out what they want to include... And so originally, so it was a 22-minute film and we ended up, our first cut, which was primarily interview uh, grabs, we, our first cut was an hour. So, and we cut it in two weeks. So at day two, we were studying off in an hour. So we had to cut it down pretty quickly to uh, get to our final target destination. Which, which was so 20, 22 minutes? 22. Originally, it was uh, pitched as a 12-minute film. Right. But which I and I read the the treatment, which is the, essentially the paper description of what they were aiming to do with the film, and I kind of read it. And given the fact that they had three couples in it, uh, I felt that that in, to cut it down to twelve minutes was gonna you're not going to be able to get enough of a storyline and follow the journey of each couple through the through the film. So we um, talked. The, it was done at Film Australia at the time, uh, now Screen Australia, and. Um, we cut it together and came up with this one-hour rough cut and sort of said, um, maybe it won't make it down to 12 minutes. <laughs> when you've got that hour-long rough cut, though, do you do you find yourself going, no, it can't be 22 minutes, it'll destroy this fragile thing of beauty, or or do you go, good God, this is too long? More the latter, yeah, definitely. It was There was a lot of repetition in there, and it's essentially like when you, you just watch it from go to woe at that long format, you sort of... You get a, a vibe of what the feel of the, the best bits are and what's a bit long and what's a bit laboured and what's a repetition of what. Cause there, because there was three separate couples, there was quite a lot of repetition between the three couples involved in the, in the film. Presumably, though, you, you're told... I mean, I assume there's only a couple of options, like it's going to be 22 or it's going to be 45 or something like that. Yeah, we were pretty much aiming for an ABC length, which is about 25, 26, but we ended up with 22 just to make it keep it tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it and it was very tight and did did tell the story very well. Uh, the editor's job, it seems to me, is it's probably one of the most important in commercial television because you're continually having to shave seconds off. How do you make those decisions? Where where you go? Okay, well, it's 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 running at forty six oh eight. We need it to run at forty six oh six. I need to get two seconds from somewhere. That's when you start going through and taking out ums and ahs and you know really really tightening it up like that. Um, in terms of uh, factual documentary style, it's when you're pulling time out. A lot of the time, it's better off to take a big chunk out mm-hmm. rather than just pull tightening everything because. When you're getting down to that real fine cut kind of stage, a lot of the time, if you start to tighten it too much, you'll lose the fo- the feel and the, and the rhythm and the flow that you, you've got in that fine cut. You, so you're better off taking, okay, let's lose that 30-second chunk there and we're good to go. And so once you do that, uh, you've, you've got all that extra time, so you have like five-second crossfades and stuff. Or? Another montage in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you've, you've added a lot of things. I'm not sure what the term would be. It's not... Not kind of reality as such, but you know, um, shows like Changing Rooms and Burke's Backyard, and Life, yeah. lifestyle, lifestyle programming, lifestyle. and also things like Australian Idol. I'm kind of wondering, in in that sort of situation, I mean, do you really have any control with Australian Idol? I mean, what what what's your position? What's your role as an editor doing that? Well, as essentially, to um, on something on a big production like that, you tend to be paired with a producer. So the producer will come up with their, their uh, paper cut 
on some shows. Depend, depends on the show, really. Um, but in terms of Australian Idol, it's more you're paired with a, a producer and you work together, essentially. You come up with a, essentially a, a long cut of what, whatever you need to. And they have a particular angle. They'll often be writing voiceover. Um, so if you've got something which is a bit long and you want to save a bit of time, a voiceover it can always you know get you out of a tight spot and just pull time down. Um, but essentially, it's it's you negotiating with the producer that you're working with to make the final decision of what's important and what's not important in terms of storyline. And then once you finish with that producer, you tend to have a screening with an executive producer who comes on board, and then they will say yes, good, yes, bad. Or that sort of thing. What sort of thing would you argue for, though? Say on an Australian Idol, what kind of thing as an editor do you go? Well, this is important, and you've um, Australian Idol is a it's a funny old beast because the episodes that I worked I worked on it a few years ago, so it was back on series two, and it was uh, the audition episodes where they're in different cities doing the auditions, and a lot of the time you're just asking some auditions you just want to leave long um other auditions can be you know just chuck them into a montage you know because they're not that good but essentially the a lot of the audition episodes tend to focus on the wacky and the weird and the good stuff gets a little bit of a mention but is not intense it's not so important at that stage of the show so, sometimes it seems to me with those audition episodes that the shots that we're getting of the judges and not necessarily reaction shots to that contestant. Is that is that the case? <laughs> that um, That's, yeah, I don't want to get you into trouble, but I also want to know what's it, real. It it potentially could be the case. Uh, right. I, given that I haven't worked on it for a few years, um, all the stuff that I cut was cut with. Cause I, I mean, I like to keep things honest and straightforward. And yeah, but and, you're one of the good ones, Rob. I like to think so. <laughs> um, so fortunately, you don't get asked very often to do that kind of fudging as much as um, I have been asked one time in particular to do it, which was a reality show based in Queensland uh, called The Hot House. So, yes. And there was one circumstances where their reactions weren't quite the reactions they wanted from the producers. So the producer said, oh, can we just use those reactions from five minutes earlier? And I was going, that's a completely different emotion but no. But, as, but you know, Australian Idol still around. Hot House didn't complete a season, so that's right. One one season. Oh, did it? Did it? Yes. Did it complete one season? Just I missed that. Just there was a there was a halfway through the season uh, there was a discussion of whether it was going to get pulled or not. But I think because there was so much um, uh, sponsorship involvement, it would have been more expensive to pull it than it was to just let it run its course. But they right. did kick so. it back to eleven thirty or something. <laughs> it did got something like that. Yeah. When uh, when when you're at editing school, uh, and I'm guessing there is a, an editing school, uh, yep. like you, you would go to uh, sort of, yep. afters or, or something like that to, to learn editing. Yep. How much are they teaching you technical stuff and how much are they teaching you uh, this is how you tell a story through editing and how often do they say to you, the editor is the most important person <laughs> in film and television production? Well, it's kind of 50-50. I mean, the technical thing is important. But uh, in terms of, I went through film school at AFTAs, as you mentioned, uh, back in 2001. So I've been editing for about seven years. And the technical stuff becomes less and less important over time. And it's more about storytelling, pace, rhythm, all that kind of stuff, uh, instead of, you know, 
or we'll do a funky fade there or, a, you know, a, a quick whip pan, kind of, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, because essentially if you've got a good story, if, even if it's badly edited, which there's been a few things on recently I can think of, that the, the content will shine through. Even yep. if even if you haven't got good cutters or good coverage, that's the other thing. Sometimes, as an editor, you're working against uh, what is shot in the field, so that that becomes quite difficult to make a good story if you haven't got the coverage. Uh, and uh, and do they? So we'll get we'll get all of this out of the way, and then you know talk about stories from the field. Sure. Uh, do they teach you uh, still how to or, or two thousand one how to uh, how to cut? film and stick film together and then had a jog videotape and uh, and take that backwards and forwards? Uh, when I was going through it, with the film was still part of the drama stream. I went through the documentary stream, so we just used videotape. So, mm-hmm. And I when I initially learned editing, it was uh, videotape to videotape deck, so it was linear. So now primarily everything is non-linear, so it's all computer-based. Yeah, cause, yeah so, I don't know if you're aware of this, Brett, but uh, <laughs> editing's done on computers now. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My God, totally. that would make this podcast so much easier to I, do. I know. We should get you an Amstrad or, or, the, or an Amiga if we couldn't afford it. Because as, as yeah. you can see, I've, I've, I've still got the reel-to-reel uh, decks going and, and I get the razor blade and the white chalk out. And, and, and you cut it finished. together and then you mail it to the internet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so, so now no one uses uh, video-to-video. If, if, something's, uh, if something's recorded on Betacam, it, it gets digitised straight away. Uh, Majority of the time, one of the few things that is uh, still cut linear is sport, uh, football, or and I think some of the current affair shows are still linear. Why? Turnaround. It's speed. You can do it much quicker. Oh, because it takes so long to, yeah, well, to digitise, digitise it. it. Yeah. yeah, you can digitise tape in and then you know play it back out. Well, if you're going tape to tape, it's much quicker. So. Speaking of speed, do you think things? Do you think our, uh, both audiences being able to perceive? You know, television and also the editing technology getting quicker. Do you think also it makes editing quicker? Do you think um, people want to see quicker shots now and and you know more cuts in a? You're, in a you're show? thinking about McG, aren't you? I am. I, am I just close my eyes and I dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you, Do you think that's actually where we're going? The McG world. I think in commercial television, yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of documentary, I think the it's it's much less so but in terms of yes things like australian idol and um those sort of shows it's very 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 fast and it's getting faster um in terms of actual production time in terms of if you've got three weeks to edit a show in comparing linear to non-linear uh it's it does make it quicker being on computers but it what it does give you is basically lets you play more lets you give you you can come up with four different versions of something instead of one and so I know, speaking to editors who've been in business for a long time, they say, you know, it still takes the same amount of time to cut a show, but you just cut a whole lot more versions of something. So, yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you about, you've also worked on uh, Mythbusters. Yeah. And, and I read somewhere that Mythbusters, apparently, uh, a lot of time it's kind of not structured as much as you'd think because they don't know what the results are going to be of what they're filming. Is that, is that how it works? How, how, Pretty how do you much. approach it? Yeah. Essentially, they... Uh, they have a plan of the experiment and what they're going to do, and then they shoot the shit out of it, and then they write on a piece of paper saying, and this is what happened, and they ship all the tapes back to Sydney, and we watch the tapes and go, oh, bloody hell. So they don't give you a paper edit or anything? They just No. They, they don't actually view the tapes over there. They just sort of give you the result and, seem just, and, and, and then we have to make it up in Sydney, so... 
Right. And all, all of the shows... Now, also, I'm going to ask you one step back, because yep. Mythbusters has always bewildered me about the fact that it seems to be an Australian production making an American show. Yep. And if you ever hear the voices of the crew, they always seem to be Australian. Yep. Yep. What, is that how it works? What? Yeah, primarily the crew is Australian. Um, I think occasionally some of the production assistants uh, in San Francisco are American, but primarily the guy shooting it and the people producing it, um, the executive producer who's on location in San Francisco are all Australian. The, the reason why that is is because Peter Reese, who's the guy who came up with the original concept, he uh, was based here working for Beyond Productions and came up with this great idea. They said, great, let's do it. And so he kind of looked for talent and he couldn't find anyone in Australia who would fit the bill. And also they were also really aware that they wanted to pitch it to an international market and especially Discovery in the States. So uh, I think it was through Robot Wars where Peter found uh, Adam and Jamie Heineman uh, to front the show and so that's how that came about it is, it is a weird production model uh, pretty rare because at some stage I'm not sure whether it did get nominated for an Australian award but some people were considering <laughs> it as a Australian television it was like a bit a mm, bit of a grey area that one and it's all edited in Sydney, like still? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is, is that not stupidly expensive? It just seems like you, surely you'd be better off having the editor in the US. Uh, it's cheaper, I think, because uh, editors in the States cost more, I think. And the other thing is uh, Beyond have a facility in Sydney, and if you know if they're not cutting it there, they're... You they'd know, have to rent. They'd have to rent, <laughs> and, you know. So. So, listen, so the footage comes back in yep. in digital form? Or? Digital beta cams. Yep. Okay, but yep. still on, on digital on tape. tape. Yep. And, and then you guys just watch through it all and work out? Yep. Essentially, yeah. There's some pretty tedious watching there. One story I cut was um, making how to produce fire, and one of their concepts was uh, rubbing the bottom of an aluminium can with uh, chocolate. And, I, re- I remember that, and pointing at the and sun. And pointing at the sun. You know how you get that reflector thing where you burn ants normally, but this was the bottom of an aluminium can, and there was literally like four or five tapes, so 45-minute beta cans <laughs> of them polishing the bottom of an aluminium can. So... Uh, and for, uh, occasionally, one on one tape, you might get a bit of gold. So that's it's worthwhile trawling through it. But at the same time, is after like half a day of watching this stuff, you're going, it gets a little tedious. Let's say. So do you guys then cut it together, and then someone writes the narr- the, the voiceover, or the on that particular show, the producers write their own voiceover, and so you sort of write it as you go, and um, which makes it actually quite a quick process in that respect because you're not relying on another writer to be involved in the process as a third person so you've got to produce a writer who you're working with and so you can get it done fairly quickly can you solve an old box cutters argument the first season of uh of mythbusters when i first saw it it, turned up on sbs here yeah no when i first oh sorry when i first saw it on discovery okay uh here it had an american voiceover and then when it turned up on SBS, it had an Australian voiceover. Was there an original version and what flavour voiceover did it have? That's a very good question. I don't actually know. Can, you, fi- can you find out for us? I'll give it a crack. Because yes. Brett and I have not let this go. Right. For, and it's, they like wrestle. Three years. After every show, they wrestle. <laughs> now the, the, the long-standing narrator is uh, Robert Lee. Is he based in Sydney or over in the States? Uh, the voiceover guy? Yeah. He's in Sydney. Uh, yeah, and that's why they use him because he's local, so that it's much easier to do that to get him to come in and do voiceovers. So, and he does actually quite a lot of, um, say, film trailer uh, ads with American voices because he and it's quite interesting that they use a local guy for it. So, yeah, is he not actually American? 
He is. Yeah. He's a local yeah. American. He's a, yeah, he's a local American. Right. He's one of ours. He's an import. <laughs> <laughs> one of the good guys. Yeah. He may as well be from New Zealand. That's that's how much Australian now, he is. Now, specifically with MythBusters, um, do they do they actually get enough coverage as they're doing it, or or do they really kind of as it's shown on on the show, they'll go out to Alameda and and try something, and then it won't be it won't fit the myth, and and then they'll have shots back in the workshop. Um, saying, okay, so tomorrow we're going to go out and, and actually do what the myth says. Have they done all the stuff back in the workshop before they go over there? or uh, In terms of shooting like, like, Do they plan it ahead properly? Yeah, they do it pretty well. And then in terms of coverage, yeah, they, they cover everything because because of the production model, because they don't know what they're going to end up with, they have to shoot everything, and they do. They shoot everything, and so. But also, kind of, kind of thinking about of, uh, the eventualities in case uh, they can't, they can't uh, replicate the myth by by the method that uh, that it, the myth says that it's supposed to be, and so kind of plan ahead to. Yeah. Okay, we got to blow the shit out of something. They they tend to on, on those bigger ones where they have to go at location. They will always have contingencies for that, so they'll um, shoot stuff beforehand. Yeah. Do you think, because it's such a, a sort of weird international model, do you think there are differences in editing styles like, from country to country? Like, 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 is there an Australian model that's different to an American model, different to a, an English model? Um, there, there is absolutely uh, definitely uh, different editing styles. I think it's more because of the audience uh, rather than the actual people producing the show. Um, I think, uh, th- I mean, the first example that comes to mind is... Um, the Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, where there's the UK version and the US version, and uh, the UK version was more following him in his journey through the through the process, and if something went wrong, they just went with it, and it's much more kind of his journey essentially. The American version of Kitchen Nightmares is much more, uh, let's say, the story of the people involved, and Ramsay's like this character who comes in and you know, blasts hell out of them. And then leaves again, um, leaving them to their own devices. But the, the the interesting thing is, the UK format will follow events as they happen, and if something goes pear shaped, they'll just keep going with it. The American one, you can all, you can pretty much you know every episode is blocked out the same. At the end of seg, whatever three, there will be this bit of tension, and then suddenly, on the final night, everything is resolved and it's all happy again at the end, and it's. As an editor, I find that, although I like watching Gordon Ramsay's shows, I find that quite frustrating uh, because you know that things are taken way out of context. In the, the American one? Absolutely. In the American right. one, yeah. I mean, for example, there was one in particular, which is the episode that uh, I think he got in one of the, I think it was one of the South Australian senator made a complaint or made a, uh, brought it up in Parliament and was complaining about the amount of swearing in it. But they had... Uh, a cutaway, which essentially a cutaway is a shot, a reaction shot of an employee looking horrified at uh, what Gordon Ramsay was saying to his chef or the chef that he was working with. And the problem was is the cutaway was actually in the same spot as the action with Gordon was happening. So they take a lot of liberties with the way they structured the shows to the point where if you um, have a, the end credits on tape and freeze frame it, there's a, a little, uh, what's the word, disclaimer, which says the events portrayed in this episode may not have actually taken place in the order that they are presented. 
So, right. I must, I'm always amazed at the editing on uh, The Amazing Race, which I, I think is, is incredible, the way that they, they structure it into a, a quite fake, I think, the drama. Yeah, the tension yeah. at the end. Well, uh, yeah. a, lot, a lot of the time, there's you know t- an hour, two hours between uh, second, last, and last. But even things like, I've seen the episode where someone, you know, their car had a momentary skid as they were driving, and that's played as, you know, the bit going into the ad break and the kind of, you know, the music. They show it three times. They show it three times. And, mm. But things I actually really enjoy that in, in, yeah, for that program. I think that's, I know they're lying to me, but I find it perfectly acceptable. You mm. know, are, there, are there shows where you think it, 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 is, it is acceptable to do that and other ones where it's not? Uh, in more of the sort of more kind of uh, lightweight sort of entertainment shows, I think it's fine. I mean, it's quite funny because sometimes you watch a half hour show and between the recaps from the previous episode and then the flash forwards to what's going to happen that episode and then the teasers at the end of each break, you've probably out of a half hour show, you might only have 15 minutes of new content in every episode because you're constantly seeing things that are going to happen and then <coughs> <That is stupid>. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, still going to happen yeah. and Mythbusters does a lot of that as yeah, well Myth- Mythbusters yeah. does, does yeah. do a lot of that uh, with uh, a game I like to play is uh, I, I just call it post and that's watching uh, some kind of reality competition especially my favourite is with uh, uh, Donald Trump in The Apprentice and hearing when he's giving instructions to somebody, but then he's had to go back and redo it in uh, in post as a, as a new voice recording, because uh, it, it's just it's so much because you won't see him say the words, and you'll just hear a completely different sound environment. He might have a helicopter behind him in one, <laughs> and the other is just perfectly clear. What? Contingency. I mean, it's a fun game, so I don't want it to end. But <laughs> but when you're editing and mm. and you've got this little bit of uh, of post recording that you need to play in, is there any chance for you to do some foley to uh, kind of try and match the sounds as much as possible? That can be quite difficult. Yeah, it depends on case by case basis. But uh, generally, once I'm finished with the audio guys, if I if I've got something which doesn't match audio wise, I'll let the audio guys know about it and they'll do their best to try and add in some atmosphere audio or basically smooth it out to make it match as close as possible but at the same time sometimes it just it's impossible to match so it so, becomes that's when you'd be able to pick it you know so does that mean that uh that when the crew's on location they're not actually thinking coverage from an audio perspective so they don't record the silence or just the environment without any uh speaking depends on the production but um, a lot of the more professional crews, yeah, they they'll, they'll roll one minute uh, at the end of it uh, of an interview or something like that, and they'll just basically record the the natural environment of what it sounds like. So you can fill those holes. Uh, now, with the reality stuff, have you have you uh, ever had the occasion to frankenbite somebody? I don't really think so. In terms of maybe. Which Maybe is, which small, is, yeah, I understand. Yeah, taking yep. for, for listeners at home playing along, uh, which is uh, to take somebody saying something and, and cut it up so that it actually has a, a very different meaning from what they originally said. Not as not really blatantly. I've I've done stuff where you're essentially culling down if they've said something in thirty seconds and it's only got to take ten. You, I, I've absolutely all the time. Yep. Um, but in terms of changing the context completely. No, I haven't ever had to do that, thankfully, because I would have a real problem with that. 
Uh, so, Rob, actually, I was thinking about that. It's documentary is your is your form, isn't it? In fact, at Afters, yeah, uh, documentary is what I studied at, at Afters, and uh, but in terms of what I what I've specialised in, it tends to be more factual. And documentaries, so but it's not like you're doing this while you're slumming, while you're trying to get into to fiction. You actually want to be doing. Oh, absolutely! It's it's quite interesting because there's there is quite a large demarcation between uh, drama and factual documentary stuff. Um, there are editors, say Ken Sallows, who's a, a quite a famous Australian uh, editor. He did Chopper, among other things, and uh, he does documentaries as well. And I th- he says that in both styles inform each other. Uh, in terms of, I'm not really that interested in drama because uh, I prefer to have more of a uh, more of a hands-on story, um, hands-on in in constructing the story essentially. While because drama is scripted, you you, know, you although you can be pretty funky and you can have do a lot of things, you're limited to what they've shot. So with documentary, you're kind of you just get a whole lot of stuff, and you decide with the with the director or producer what what's going to happen. So that's why I prefer factual sort of documentary stuff. Which shows, when you watch them, do you do you think ah oh, this is the sort of editing that I want to aspire to? And which shows just make you cringe? Um, the ones that make me cringe is the easier answer. Uh, there seems to be a bit of a trend in the last few years in terms of short attention span, kind of. Uh, more factual productions in terms of something like border security where they'll take they might have three or four stories in each episode but they'll cut it into one minute chunks or one minute 30 chunks and they'll voice it at the start to remind you what story you're with and it's it's just so heavy-handed and it's just there's no what's the word subtlety i guess to it and there's no it's there's no credit for the audience being able to go on that journey it's like this is where we are and this is what you're watching and it's just like it's like I guess it's good for people who just want to switch off and and watch it and I guess that's why it rates so well but I I can't stand it <laughs> I, can, I cannot watch it at all in terms of um, good stuff um, I guess I'm a good doco guy so I get really sucked into a, a good observational doco right yeah do, have you ever watched uh, Prison Dogs on Animal Planet? No, I haven't seen that. I think I think that does a really good job of uh, the, the idea behind Prison Dogs is that uh, it's this prison somewhere in the US where they have this program where they have to take uh, stray dogs and train them. The prisoners themselves train them. They live with the dogs and uh, and they go through this process of training the dogs into a family friendly dog, and then a family comes and adopts the dog. And it's this fantastic journey and it's always heartbreaking, but at the same time, you're really proud of the achievements. And, and, and it just, it takes all these, uh, all these moments from a, a three-month journey and condenses them into a single hour of, of television or 45 minutes. I like the episode that they had of that in uh, Oz. Yeah, 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 uh, that was great. That was a little bit different. A little bit different, teaching a dog to shank. <laughs> Not the same, but the uh, but so, something like that. I, I think when when I'm thinking of uh, of things that do the editing process, and and again, it's something where they must have shot so much footage. Uh, that really that really comes to together well. Documentaries, a good documentary is always it's always easy to see. Yeah, always. Do you use lots of the uh, Ken Burns effect? <laughs> on, uh, on iMovie? On Australian Idol, do you have lots of stills? Just zooming towards voice the camera. Over, voice yeah. over, still, voice over. And, and letters, you know. 
<laughs> I think I will make it into the final 12, Candace. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should explore that for the next season. Now, but, uh, keep the ratings up there. Yeah. I think that works nicely. Mm. Rob Buttery, thank you so much for coming onto Box Cutters and teaching us all about editing. It's, it's magnificent. Thank Great you. world. Thank you, guys. Hi, this is Lawrence Mooney. I've been on the telly, and if you're into televisual delights, then there's only one show you need to be listening to, and that's Box Cutters. Get your ears into it. 11th Hour is a new uh, one-hour drama from the Bruckheimer stable of dramatic arts. Yes, that's uh, Jerry Bruckheimer. Oh, not not Frito Bruckheimer. Not Frito Bruckheimer. Oh, not Trevor Bruckheimer. No. I like Trevor's work. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's, he's not bad, but um, you know he he doesn't see he he's the name of Trevor Bruckheimer doesn't bring with it uh, the the reputation of of million dollar television and and just edgy edge of your seat uh, kind of experiences that we see with a lot of Bruckheimer stuff with, with all of Jerry Bruckheimer stuff. I have to say that I, I liked Frito Bruckheimer's version of Con Air, where it was a guy named Con. Uh, who uh, who uh, just uh, liked to wear Air Jordans a lot. And a lot more believable. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's the good stuff about Frida's work. So what's 11th Hour about, Brett? Well, 11th Hour is a... It's actually a remake of a uh, UK series that's had uh, Jean-Luc Picard in the... Uh, the title role, I believe. Yes, and that Scottish woman from Extras. Oh, yeah, it had Jean-Luc Picard, that Scottish woman from Extras, and Dr. Xavier... From the X Men, did it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Are they the same? Pa- John Luke Picard and Doctor Xavier. What? You, one's in a wheelchair. One wears tight shirts. What are you talking about? Well, I don't think he was in a wheelchair, so I think it could have been oh, Doctor okay. Xavier. Okay. What's Eleven Star about, Brett? <laughs> well, well, the American version of it uh, stars Rufus Sewell, uh, who happens to be a uh, an English person playing an American. He's uh, he's a scientist. He plays uh, Dr. Jacob Hood in the US version. Apparently, Americans can't deal with the name, uh, along with Colin and uh, Trevor and Craig, uh, can't deal with the name Ian. Oh, was, he, uh, was he Ian in the original? Ian Hood was uh, the original okay. name of it. He's a scientist that... Uh, that well. It's very much following the formula that we've seen a lot of, and this seems to be uh, was it last year or the year before that that all the all the TV shows the year before it was the year before it was Fringe all the TV and- shows no, no no all the TV shows were trying to come up with the new Sex in the City oh, and oh, so see, we yeah. saw all of these these uh, chick flick type type Lipstick TV series jungle, coming up Cash Me Mafia it seems uh, now that jungle, m- Lipstick Mafia m- Girls Murder Club trees. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems now that all the networks are trying to find the next house, even though house is still with us. Uh, we've seen Shark. We saw what did we talk about last week? Um, Lie to me. Lie to me. So, so you've got uh, the, life. The mentalist. Uh, the mentalist. You've got the super expert with a bit of a team. Works for government bodies, and uh, and Doctor Jacob Hood works for the FBI. Well, he's he's kind of special consultant to the FBI, but he has an F, uh, an FBI protector. Because apparently, uh, the some of the cases that he's uh, turned up, the answers to the people, the perpetrators haven't been too happy about it. Now they're, so they're all uh, they're all science based kind of problems in theory. But I just want to say on, on that note, I actually couldn't really work out. I watched three episodes and still couldn't work out like what the relationship was, who they worked for. It was only actually reading the Wikipedia entry about the English one that told me that that he has a protector because apparently. 
you know, other people wanted to kill him because of previous it's cases. But not made clear. That was I, never, I never. No, no, that was definitely explained was in the series. Yes. Okay, because yeah, yeah. somehow I missed. I could. I I just could not work out why he had a protector. I couldn't work out why he needed to have a bodyguard, and it was also a bit confusing. Except that, except that I, I thought he's clearly uh, a little bit. Uh, uh, of an idiot who could be a danger to himself. Well, perhaps. There's also an odd thing that I couldn't work out originally whether he actually worked for the FBI or whether it seems to imply more he's been seconded to the FBI or he's been asked to work for the FBI. And or the, they, the, just, they just stand near him and gather his or answers Or something, to yeah. Or they, 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 they get his mail occasionally by mistake. And, the, <laughs> and his protector, who uh, I believe the actor is called not Uma Thurman. Um, <laughs> not Uma uh, Thurman. Marley Shelton. Okay, or, or not Uma Thurman, as I keep saying. <laughs> she, she, yeah, she's there as this bodyguard, but... We, I don't know. I never really kind of worked out why. And certainly in the show from the three episodes we've seen. I could, Maybe it was in the fourth that, that that she actually explained it, which I happened to look at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, because and, and this was one of the really interesting things about this, that, that the, the law of three that we have on box cutters that uh, you have to watch the first three episodes because the first one's always the pilot. The second one's kind of doing exp- exposition stuff and the third one is where it can actually um, hit its stride. They they just launched straight into it. They're, the first episode definitely did not feel like a pilot. I, I still have a theory that the didn't, third it episode... It did not feel like a pilot. But it didn't feel like a pilot. Um, I, I still have a theory that the third episode struck me as being the first episode. <laughs> well, and I, I have a theory about this bit in the third episode as well. Brett, Brett can we play uh, the start of... Or it's, it's, it's about two minutes into the first episode. Or third episode. Third, third episode, sorry. Yeah, but two minutes into the third. Shock fracture. Yep. We've tested the hydraulics and the landing gear for extremes, but not for rapid temperature change. I don't suppose the NTSP can help you get a new watch. He's explaining what's going on with Oh, that won't be necessary. Dr. Hood's employers at the FBI are perfectly capable of reimbursing him for any expenses and or personal items damaged during the course of an investigation. Mr. Bennett, this is Special Agent Rachel Young, my... uh... I'm his FBI handler. And we've got somewhere to be. Sir? A family in San Jose, California ate breakfast approximately 36 hours ago. Calling herself a handler almost sounds like he's a spy, or or, a dog, spies have or an animal. <laughs> or a dog. Yeah, it's it's it's, and it's an odd little. I mean, I've got to admit, I found the show mostly bland, but I, I had a weird deja vu thing with it because it did feel, you know, it's like I'm watching an English actor who was going to be a big movie star in the mid '90s in a formulaic procedural. Going, isn't isn't this lie to me that we did last week? <laughs> you know, isn't this the same yes. show? Isn't this Hugh Laurie? Well, also but that weird thing of again with this. I think Rufus Sewell is, is better than the material. Uh, probably most famous, I guess, for Dark City. But he's, he's a good, you know, he's a fairly good actor. And in this, I've got no idea what he's doing. He's just, I'm not sure he knows what he's doing it's, with this character. No, because the, the character seems to have no substance other than he needs to be minded. And, uh, and it's also not like he has any special powers of observation. Well, and he occasionally goes for very odd line readings. And just before that scene, so that, that scene's at the very beginning of the episode, it seems to be there just to prove to us that he can solve why things go wrong. In this case, uh, an air, uh, air it's, flight test thing has crashed. It's, it's, it, it, it is a little bit like the, the old uh, Clayton's ad with Jack Thompson uh, finishing <laughs> off the punchline. Now we can all get, get some sleep. sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also there's a bit where he wants to demonstrate how um, uh, basically this, this plane has crashed because um, you know, it, it was got too hot and then it got too cold and you know, it, it basically broke. Yeah, that's a straightforward concept. He does it by getting a hot plate, a, a watch and uh, some ice cream. <laughs> But it's the moment where he gets the ice cream out of the freezer, he goes, 
vanilla. <laughs> it's the world's weirdest reading of the word vanilla. And you're going, but also, this is an aircraft hangar. They've yeah, got a freezer. They've got a freezer. <laughs> With one and they've tub, got of ice cream. Cream. tub of ice cream. And, they, and also, he could have just used ice, but... Also, he, he could have just told them. This is what I don't understand. Okay, I, I, I found this show kind of like a mixture between the Curiosity Show... And fringe, but without giant 3D letters coming to kill us all. He explains the- cloning at one point using some grapes and some tweezers, yes. which is in itself the most bizarre approach to this. Why not just... And he says it to an FBI agent. Why not just say, are you familiar with cloning? He, what he should have had... So are you the- familiar with human cloning? Yes, I am. Instead okay, of, let's move on. Instead of not Uma Thurman, if he'd made the series where he's this you know, science guy, solves science problems, and for some reason he has to take a seven-year-old girl around with him. That would make perfect <laughs> sense. That would be absolutely brilliant. Or else, you know, she'll explode. But and also, <laughs> but also, she, she seems to be an, an expert in, in uh, reading people's TLAs that uh, apropos of nothing. Um, and, and then whoever has, has used the TLA, the three-letter acronym, uh, will... Uh, be surprised that she knows what they're talking about. Which doesn't make a good communicator of these people. The no. problem too is that neither of them are terribly interesting characters in, in of themselves either. Their relationship's not, you know. But the thing I started wondering about, because the stories too, the, the, the plots are mild, mildly science-based kind of plots you know, like our family's poisoned. How come they got poisoned? What caused it? Sort of thing. And that was really interesting. Um, should I spoil? No, I no, s- we shouldn't. We shouldn't spoil. But I was going to say, my- I've, I've got because I didn't get to the end of that episode. I've you got just had to turn it off in disgust. <laughs> it's I, I really I did not like this show. Well, I, I said, look, my question well, is because I didn't yeah dislike it. I just found it bland and dull. I wouldn't watch it, but what I, I couldn't work out. I was going, how come I find CSI, for example, entirely watchable? You know, which lighting. again, again, there is there are, there are no characters in that. There's no character development. It's entirely plot driven. But I find that a totally watchable program. Why do I find that watchable and this boring when they're much the same thing? What it's, is it that makes one more appealing? It's the nature of the exposition. In CSI, there is it, the whole show is basically exposition. And uh, while they're doing that, they have these amazing visual effects of the bullet going into the flesh or, uh, or acid burning away someone's body from inside. And, you know, these, these amazing effects. So it's pretty to look at while also learning a little bit of something. And you get to see how bone is shattered and you get to see all of these sorts of things. Whereas this just has him condescending to everybody (laughs) and explaining really simple concepts. I mean, the the other thing about CSI as well is, yeah, a lot of times we don't really understand how a different bullet, for example, Mm -hmm. does different kinds of damage to tissue. And those, uh, those... you know, extreme interior close-ups will show us that so we can get a better understanding of what they're talking about. Plus, we also don't have to listen to them because it's right there on the screen. Here, uh, in 11th Hour, he's explaining everything as he goes and we've got nothing but his face, a pair of tweezers and a grape <laughs> where he's, he's basically going, okay, well, here's the thing. The Earth revolves around the sun, <laughs> and, and it really does get that. But I also basic. wanted to in CSI. I, I'm often I find the storytelling CSI when they go and the villain is you, Godzilla. You know, I often actually find, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, 
But often I'll go, oh, it was Godzilla. Oh, that makes sense, but I didn't see it coming. Whereas yeah, I found it in this and in Lie to Me, like I didn't care. Because often it's you random character we've seen once in the episode. It was you who was the villain. And I just kind of, yeah, I couldn't work out what is it that CSI makes me kind of feel that's a well-rounded conclusion to a story. Whereas all three of these are coming, oh, so what? It was that guy. You know, it was kind of like, who cares? Well, because also I think CSI isn't about the personalities. CSI is, and it's, I think a problem with CSI Miami is that it became about, uh, what, what's his name? Napoleon Dynamite. Or what, what? Red, red Hair Man. Yeah, Red Head Man. Uh, it, <laughs> David Caruso. David Caruso. That's you're going for. Yeah, no, I was, I was Napoleon just, Dynamite from? Oh, he's, uh, he looks a bit like Napoleon His real name, no, his real, his, his name, his real name, his, his name in the... Uh, in the the show is like Hercules or Napoleon or Horatio or something like that. Red Hair Man. Red Hair Man. Anyway, you know, CSI Miami became about him. uh, But when CSI started, it was really just about the team working together, solving the crime, letting it go. You didn't actually, you, you weren't forced to care about any of the main ongoing characters. And uh, here, you've just got the two of them. You've just got not Uma Thurman Well, also because not Uma Thurman doesn't seem to actually do anything, which I think is... I mean, she doesn't seem to contribute anything to the solving of the crimes. Well, apparently she enjoys kicking down hotel doors when uh, the... Oh, and invading people's privacy, which is presented in, at least I think the third episode, is it? Isn't great? The Patriot Act lets me just just completely... And it's like, oh, isn't it funny how you can just interfere with people's privacy and and avoid justice? Yeah, no, that was it was kind of creepy. I, I wanted this information that I have no right to at all and uh, which in the end doesn't actually turn out to be important either in a way it was funny how, how none of the episodes seemed to they didn't I, I couldn't see how Rufus was getting enemies when Dr. Hood Dr. Hood when in every episode he seemed to actually you know say that everyone was fine like there was there was no sense of anyone ever being implicated other than a couple of ne'er do wells who would have got away with it if it wasn't for your bisky kids. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's yeah, it's like, and at times like it was just so painfully, uh, um, uh, just over the top when when the the eleven year old kids are dying and they drive into this town and there's nobody under twenty years old and all the all the parents are just freaking out because there's there's this mystery thing going on and they're dying of heart attacks. Um, it, Makes no sense whatsoever. Where are the fifteen-year-olds? Like, there's there's three eleven-year-old kids that have died, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all in the same class at the same school, and and the entire city pulls all their kids off the streets. Mm-hmm. Oh, there, there was there was a ban on having sex in that town <laughs> until, for twenty years, just yeah. in case. And yeah, it's also funny, and I I now can't remember. We talked about this last week, Rafabia. Something you talked about thing when we talked about Eureka was the idea of the um the the scientist who can do everything. You know, the the uber scientist who oh, knows yeah. everything. And this show is outrageous with that. The hood apparently yeah. knows every single yeah. branch of science, and it got to the point where I was getting kind of annoyed, going, "Why can't he just say?" I rang my friend at Berkeley, who's an expert in bugs, or I looked it up on Wikipedia like the writers did. You know, I mean, yeah, just yeah. anything that she's got an iPhone at one point. I'm going to go, honey, you know as much as he does now. You know, <laughs> well, actually, they, they do that at, at CSI a lot. They'll get the CSI phone call where, uh, where someone will hang up the phone and just go, oh, well, apparently Susan was at uh, was at dinner 
at this Greek restaurant that night. Well, and this is the thing, and it's funny because those rules of script writing, it's always like, yeah, show, don't tell, which means you're meant to be using the fucking grapes and the, um, and the, and the tweezers, when in fact... I'd rather he just told me. But that's that's not sh- that's not show don't tell. Well, that's it's show and tell. That's, <laughs> that's telling without. I mean, the the thing is, the show not, show don't tell is really about emotion, mm-hmm. and this show has no emotion. Well, I was saying the other rule too is yeah, you meant to have he just knows it because that's better than wasting time with him getting off the phone. But the problem is, if it ends up distracting me, the viewer going, how come he just knows everything? It's getting kind of ludicrous. Then I'd rather he's yeah, like Doctor Carl. He, he's, he's like Doctor Carl. <laughs> Why doesn't Dr. Carl have a series where he solves crimes? Wouldn't that be brilliant? He could do an American accent. No, no, as an Australian. And a bit wacky. Well, we can see the bullets gone through here. You know, that sort of thing. He's really chirpy. Lots of Hawaiian shirts. Oh, look, the head separated from the body. That'd be great. So it's a little bit like John Hind there. Why doesn't John Hind, who you know is dead, have his series where he goes around solving? Well, we can see here that she's been dead for some time. That's uh, 11th hour. I'll find out when it's going to be on television and put it on the it's blog. coming up. For a Jerry Bruckheimer show, it, lots of disappointment. I'm not sure if he's just uh, been asked to slap his name on this thing, but uh, it doesn't seem to have been touched by him particularly. I would say I only ever saw half an episode of the of the English one, and I seem to remember that being quite dull as well, so maybe, maybe it's just a concept that doesn't really work. Hi, this is Jean Badler. You're listening to Box Cutters. Home for many centuries to a dreadful dynasty of vicious vampire ducks, the Counts of Ducula. Legend has it that these foul beings can be destroyed by a snake through the heart or exposure to sunlight. This does not suffice, however, for they may be brought back to life by means of a secret rite that can be performed once a century when the moon is in the eighth house of Aquarius. Are you getting The latest reincarnation did not run according to plan. Probably enough. <laughs> I'd, I, I had forgotten until hearing that just now how much I love Nursey. <laughs> not, not Nursey, what's... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, Nanny. N- nanny. 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 It, 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 this is actually, this is a, a before and after school, it's a request of sorts. We, right. t- we talked about vampires a couple of weeks ago. Maudoir mentioned on, on, the, uh, on the blog that we didn't mention Count Dracula. And Alex Boxcutter, he actually wrote in, he said, what about Count Dracula? They always forget Count Dracula. You know what? I actually remembered Count Dracula, but didn't get a chance to say it. I'm just saying that now. Sure, might not have been true. <laughs> but in retrospect. In retrospect, so why not? I realised we weren't mentioning Moonlight and uh, thought there was good reason not to mention Moonlight. But yes. then, you know, but we like to keep our listeners happy. So let's have a quick overview of Count Dracula. That, that was the, uh, the, the opening credits. Um, obviously a bit murky there. Apologies for the sound quality. Um, but anything that rhymes Transylvania with uh, Vampire Hall of Fame, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> there's not a vampire zanier <laughs> than Dracula. Um, Karen Dracula was made by Cosgrove Hall, who, of course, made, uh, oh, I mean, so much great stuff. Danger Mouse, uh, Chorlton the Wheelies. Chorlton, do you remember Chorlton the Wheelies? I yes, love yes, that. I do. Um, um, Banana Man? 
Uh, no, not one of theirs. Um, but Wind of the Willows, that, that beautiful you know, film version. Uh, made some Discworld stuff recently based on Terry Pratchett. Jamie and the Magic Torch, again, as a kid, I love that. Um, they've done new episodes of Postman Pat, Bill and Bo- uh, Ben, and some various Doctor Who animated projects. Uh, have been online on DVD. Um, Count Dracula started in 1988. It ran for three seasons. There were 65 episodes all together. It was shown on ITV in the UK. And here was both on the ABC and then later repeated on Channel 10. So, oh, really? Which is remarkably I successful. Did... <laughs> I, I, I wasn't aware of its repeat on, on Channel 10. No, apparently it made its way to Channel 10 at one point. The lead character, as we've just heard, uh, uh, is a Transylvanian vampire duck named Count Dracula. He's been around for many centuries. Every time he dies, he's revived in a special uh, ceremony. One of the ingredients needed in the ceremony is blood, but wacky old nanny grabs some tomato sauce and he becomes a vegetarian vampire duck who likes carrots. Are you following me? (laughs) The castle can also teleport around the world. I don't know where that comes from. I have no memory of that until I was watching some Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they go to different locations and have duckular adventures. That's how it works. And and it would would appear on like the, the most ridiculous precipice or uh, just, you know, try to balance somewhere. It was quite, quite funny. Like the teleportation itself, funny. Funny. Um, he had uh, a butler called Igor, who we heard there. Nanny, who you're mentioning. Nanny was yeah. an enormous bird of some an, sort. An enormous bird with a broken arm. But <laughs> That's right. Yes, it was she, always in a she sling. Wore, she wore a sling, but then she would also keep things in her sling, a la Jerry's coat from... Uh, uh, from uh, what's that Ferris Bueller's ripoff? Parker Lewis can't lose. Oh, nice. Yeah, always always had something in her sling. Oh, but he also had a nemesis who occurred occasionally, who was of course Doctor Von Goosewing. Yes, <laughs> should mention uh, uh, Dracula took place in a universe in which everyone was an anthropomorphic bird, <laughs> <laughs> which in itself quite intriguing. Um, Dracula was obsessed with being an entertainer. Uh, which annoyed Igor very much. Now, he first showed up in an episode of Danger Mouse entitled The The Four Tasks of Danger Mouse, in which, in order to save Danger Mouse's uh, assistant, Penfold, he had to find... Oh, crumbs. Some, some <laughs> <laughs> yes, he had to find some feathers from a vampire duck. Now, we, we have an audio file of, of their first meeting. We'll see if we can so, get So this, this is a room. spin-off from Danger this Mouse. This is actually a spin-off from Danger Mouse. So, right, I've, I'd forgotten that. So here we go. Let's have a listen to this first classic meeting. Hmm. How can I get two feathers from something that doesn't even exist? (laughs) Vampire duck. All right, all right. Who called so loud? Good grief. I thought you were a myth. Uh, I am not even a mister. I am a count. Not yes, yes, the count. Count the the, the, the duckula. (laughs) At your service. Could you get me on television? On television? Doing what? Behold, Count Dracula, the actor. Now plays Hamlet. <laughs> Excuse me. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him well. Horatio, was that not brilliant? And look, I don't know how to say this, but um, I don't think television is quite ready for you yet. So that was his first Danger Mouse appearance. And then, yes, spun off to his own series. And a strange little meta kind of reference there. Um, David Jason did both Danger Mouse and also Duckula. David oh. Jason from Only Fools and Horses, Porridge, Open All Hours, Darling Buds of May, and Touch of Frost, which he still does. 
It's kind of lovely, actually, if you look at this. David Jason appeared in so many Cosgrove Hall productions and kind of still does. So obviously, no matter how big he got, he liked to go back and... He, well, he is a great actor and he can do so many... Like, he's, he's a great voice actor as well as just being a great actor. I do I do wonder if he'd known that Ducky Love would become its own series if he would have perhaps tried to do something less obviously Daffy Duck <laughs> in the voice because it sounds like he's deliberately doing a parody of Daffy. But Yeah, uh, it's kind of a mixture of, of Daffy and Porky. It is a bit. Yeah. Curiously, Ruby Wax also did many um, extraneous voices in, in oh. Duckula, presumably before you know, she became famous. Now, we mentioned it's a spinoff from Danger Mouse, but oddly enough, it spun off a series of its own as well, where um, two of its hen- sort of henchman villain characters, who are called Gaston and Pierre, went on to have a show called Victor and Hugo. Um, in which they they were no longer a stalk and a parakeet, but now two humans. Um, and David Jason again did the voice of Hugo. It lasted two series, 1991, 92, 30 I d- episodes altogether. I've d- I, I never seen that in my life. I, I know, think. but then 91, so that's kind of, it's, you know, we would I, have been too old to probably I, have... I was still coming home from school. So <laughs> so if you were a fan of, of, of Victor and Hugo, please let us know. Um, no, I'm, I'm quite surprised that, that this isn't as old as I suspected it was. I thought that this... both Danger Mouse and and this series were like from the 60s. No, Danger, the... Danger Mouse was uh, early 80s. Yeah, uh, and, and this didn't start until 88. It is funny that the sound quality in particular of them is a little bit ropey. And, and as the animation style, I, mean, I love Danger Mouse. I was a huge fan of Danger Mouse. But I think there's that weird thing. They were, they were kind of, I don't know if they were, de- no, I don't want to say they were deliberately you know, low kind key. of retro, but they somehow yeah, as far became. As the art went. Yeah, the artwork was so simple. I think, and the the sound obviously recorded uh, probably as cost efficiently as possible. <laughs> that um, yeah, they do have a weird kind of retro sound to them. I uh, just wanted to mention finally about Duckman. <laughs> this is fascinating. There was a range of product. Uh, so Duck, Duck, Duckula, not Duckman. Duckula <laughs> had his own comic book, both uh, in the US and the UK. Yes, and uh, also had figurines. And figurines, but also most exciting, uh, there were two computer games made from Duckula. Oh. You could play them on the ZX Spectrum, the Commodore 64, or the Amstrad CPC. I desperately wanted a Commodore 64. Uh, you can get an emulator. I got a VIC-20. <sighs> Anyway, um, the first one in 1989 was a game called No Sacks, Please, We're Egyptian, in which um, <laughs> you had to search the tomb of the great pharaoh up and Adam for the mystical saxophone. Not even a, a soprano. Uh, <laughs> would have been good, though. Uh, the second game in 1981, which was simply called Count Dracula 2, involved Dracula shooting soft toys with a ketchup gun, and according to Wikipedia, it's considered to be one of the worst games of the 8-bit era. Oh. Sinclair user said... If you like silent, slow, basic, dated, unresponsive, annoying games, get it. While your Sinclair magazine said, the whole thing seems to play quite happily by itself, with the player being a sort of novelty bonus. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Dracula was a, a popular show, played all around the world. It, really funny. Like, I, I don't know if it holds up, but I remember thinking it was just excellent. The, the clip we played earlier is actually a quite truncated clip of, of that first and scene my, and, uh, and i was watching yes yeah, on there's quite a lot of it on youtube you can look at it it's actually pretty funny there's my, some really nice my best my best friend in high school was just mad for it and, and she had uh, uh nanny figurines and uh and <laughs> it, it was it, it was great like it was it was the sort of show uh much like uh the uh, the adventures of, of ed grimley uh which i will talk about in coming weeks uh it was the sort of show that would just grab you in and would spread cult status like throughout the high school and also both Danger Mouse and Duckula full of um, full of references for 
for adults or not even for adults, I suspect just for the people making the show. Yes. You know, like just for their own amusement, full of all sorts of strange little puns and non sequiturs. Which, which is always the way the best television gets made. I find, the best comedy television gets mm-hmm. made. Like with Family Guy. Yeah, not so much Family Guy. Family Guy is just shit. So that is my before and after school, telling you all about the world of Duckula. Um, to yeah. go out, can we play a little bit of the German theme tune for Duckula? Ooh. Because, you know, if you like the theme tune already, here it is in German. Schloss Dacula. Jahrhundertelang der Stammsitz eines abscheulichen Geschlechts. Verruchter Vampirin. Die Graf Dacula. Nach der Legende kann man dieses blutsaugerische Geflügel vernichten. Mit einem Flock durchs Herz oder durch helles Tageslicht. Aber sie können ins Leben zurückkehren durch ein geheimes Ritual alle 100 Jahre, wenn der Mond im achten Haus des Wasserbands steht. Fledermausflügeln das Blut? Ich bring's gleich! Die letzte Wiederbelebung verlief nicht ganz nach Plan. Oh. Tief in Transylvanien, im Schloss der Vampire, ist kein Vampir so nett zu dir wie... Dankula. Er beißt nicht Mensch noch Tier, als vegetarischer Vampir und nie glaubt was nach Klammer. Dankula. Wollt ihr euch amüsieren, vom Alltag euch kurieren, dann bleibt ihr denn gleich kommt. Dankula. <lacht> Graf. Dankula. So viel Zeit. Hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod, cast, done. Pork is on the table. I might just uh, point out that uh, that that rather abrupt edit was uh, how the original uh, came into us. It and, did, uh, yes. Not not uh, not reflective on box cutters' audio quality. No, no. Blame Graf Dacula for mm. that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Graf Uh it's pork, which we have to do very quickly because we've uh, run out of significant time in the episode. Uh, but, John, you wanted to say that on the blog... That Join us John, next oh, week when John sorry. says... John, yes, next he, week when yes. John says, yes, sorry. Uh, we, we, there were, look, we were going to do letters... We did, um, we, like, we just talked about that. We, we did. J- like, just ten seconds ago. But then I started thinking about kittens. <laughs> now, um, I, I do like to think about kittens. It's relaxing. Uh, there, look, there were great, great comments left on the blog this week. We were going to go through some, but we're just out of time. So please do go to box, uh, boxcutters.net. <laughs> Net. What, is, what, is, what happened to you between, <laughs> and here's the German theme tune to Count Duckula <laughs> and, and Pork? They were just gambling kittens. They gamble in my head. Oh, what, what games? Uh, poker, mostly. Love right. blackjack. Right. Hard. They'll take your eyes out. Um, <laughs> yes, box Yeah, There are many, many excellent comments this week from people um, involving uh, telling Josh he's wrong about Underbelly and yeah. also discussion about the coverage of the fires um, by uh, the media and many other fabulous Josh, things. Josh, have you recently gone back and had a look at Blue Murder? Uh, I haven't had a chance this have, week. Have you just been building it up in your own head? And, I, I, and haven't, I haven't had a comparing chance. Comparing it to... Comparing everything that's that's come out recently uh, with with an unrealistic uh, memory, I haven't had a chance this week to go back and look at Blue Murder, but I did go back and look at Blue Murder about three years ago when I bought it on DVD, and it held up. So, 
uh, I don't know what uh, crack some people are smoking, but... <laughs> yeah, but 2006, things were so much easier back then. Well, you know it what? It was a younger, I'll, more innocent time. I'll have another look at it now, but, uh, but uh, I reckon it's still going to hold up. Mm-hmm. And look at them side by side. I think it's going to be fine. I stand by Blue Murder. Okay. I do. I do. But yes, there are lots of great comments on the on the blog at boxcutters.net and you can always go there. Uh, we've recently fixed the issues with the Discuss... Uh, with the discuss commenting system, so the uh, Facebook Connect is back up. Oh, and the uh, weird time travel mm-hmm. stuff has stopped as well. Weird um, time travel stuff has stopped. During this week, various random episodes were being presented as new ones, so yes, that's all. And uh, I, I want to also say thanks very much to Peter Wilson, who did the work on the blog to fix up uh, those errors that were happening with uh, Discuss. Uh, he uh, had some time, I didn't have some time, and he's gone through and fixed all of that up. Uh, what was it? Oh, it's you know what? It's not for on air. Okay, it's it's really boring. There was a mouse stuck in some of it. It's really boring HTML stuff. There I can was tell a, you about a mouse in the gears. I can tell you about off air. And the elastic snapped because the mouse got stuck in the gears. You're just thinking a mouse. You could get some kittens. Oh, I could get an elastic. <laughs> hey. So th- thanks very much for that, uh, Peter. Uh, while I'm saying thank yous, why don't I say? And that brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 169. Oh. Sorry, Thanks very much <laughs> to Rob Buttery for coming in and talking to us about the world of television editing. Thanks also. Uh, really great to hear some of the, the myths busters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fantastic. Chatter, yeah. It was fantastic. Thanks also to 3RRR, whose studios we use for recording this podcast each and every week. You can find them on the web at rrr.org.au. We almost always get their best studio. And they are the best radio station in the world. Yeah. Almost always. E- except for this, this one time where we have the buzzy microphone. Sorry about yeah. the buzz. Sorry about the buzz. Uh, thanks also to Crumpler, our giveaway sponsors. If you want to email us, you can. Hooray at boxcutters.net. Sorry we didn't get a chance to do letters this week, but uh, ran out of time. Uh, and you can also text us 0458 Cutter. Or leave a message on the blog at boxcutters.net. And if you enjoyed... But just know, if we're running out of time, you'll be the first to be bumped. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we, you know, we were going to bump Rob, but he came all the way from Sydney for it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah what are you going to do? Uh, if you enjoyed this show, and sure, you may have, and then thought, oh, it rambles on a little bit, but oh, give him a go. Uh, you can go onto the iTunes Music Store and leave a review, or just go onto random websites and talk about how wonderful box cutters Cookery is. Cookery ones in particular. Yeah. It will help other people find this podcast, and if you enjoyed it, then that's just a nice thing to do. And now that uh, John's talking about kittens, get on your... Uh, kitten oh, websites. Kitten blogs. Yeah. Any kitten blog, kitten-themed blogs, please. Oh, yeah. 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 Lolcats. Sure. Sure. Whatever. Uh, my name. Until next week. My name. <laughs> what is that? No, sorry. I, I, I had the geekiest thing in the world to tell you. It does involve lolcats and Battlestar Galactica. I will leave it on the blog. I have found the world's geekiest thing. Until next week. My name is Josh Canal. I'm John Richards. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Uh, different uh, thing, but oh, we'll same be, we'll bad channel. We'll be we'll back, be back to, to our time. usual schedule. And hey, let's be careful out there.